Good morning. It's good to see you all here today. It's nice to be in the air conditioning. I was, uh, I took a very brief shift yesterday at the uh, outreach uh, at the Cantaloupe Festival and uh, just for a couple of hours, 11 to 1, I thought no big deal. It was warm and it kept giving other people the cold water. <laughs> I thought, man, so I did drink enough water and whatnot, but it's nice to be in the air conditioning. If you'd open your Bibles, please, to uh, Romans chapter 4. We're going to do just a few verses today, 9 through 12. And Paul is continuing on talking about this justification by faith, how we can be declared righteous before God, how He can look on us as righteous and how that is ours by faith. And then he uses in last week's sermon we talked about it and he he will continue to talk about Abraham and use the example of Abraham as uh, uh, our example in the way he fleshes out that this idea of his is not a new concept he didn't just come up with it nor uh, nor did uh, Jesus just come up with it but really justification by faith is the truth of the teaching of all of scripture and so he's using Abraham as an example And so, with that background in mind, having looked last week at uh, Abraham and at David a little bit and things that they said or that were said about them to understand this justification by faith, he moves on in verse 9 for our passage of the day. And he says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Let's pray. Lord, we take this moment to quiet our hearts in light of the reading of your word. We seek your face even now. Father, we worship you this morning. You alone are God. Eternal, infinite, almighty. You alone are God and there is none like you. You are just and you are righteous. And you are loving and you are merciful. We bow down to you, our creator God, our redeemer, our savior. We give you honor and we give you glory. We worship you. We praise you for what you have done for us in Christ. We praise you for this redemption that we have, that we indeed in Christ have forgiveness of sins, have right standing before you, have the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. We have your Holy Spirit living within us. 
the blessings that are ours in Christ are wonderful. And we meditate on them this morning and we praise you for them. We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for what you continue to do for us. And we thank you also for your word. That we have your very words given to us. In book form. We can read them. We can meditate on them. We can memorize them. We can teach them. Study them. Thank you that you have given us your word. And I pray this morning as we open your word and as we attempt to work through these verses, I pray that you would be honored. Pray that the truth of your word would be accurately represented. We pray that the truth of your word would be motivating to us, enlightening to us, life-giving to us. So we pray that you, by your spirit, Take your word and work in us, even this morning. So, Father, we love you and we trust you and we offer ourselves to you this morning. We offer this time to you and we thank you that we have a portion of our week, a portion of our Sunday set aside to come together like this, to join together in fellowship and in song in giving, in encouragement, in exhortation, in prayer, and in the preaching of your word. So we pray that you would work even this morning, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have an odd question for you. If you have small children, it's probably not as odd a question as it might be for others, but what is your favorite color? What's your favorite color? Now, we could debate that, you know, and I could, I could say you're wrong because you've got the wrong color, but, but what is your favorite color? Well, if you're like me, I, I have no idea. I, I, it kind of depends on what my wife's wearing. I really, I really don't have much of an opinion. <laughs> but, but I will tell you that uh, for some people who are young in years and very young in years, it's very important what the uh, person's favorite color is, and they'll say, Daddy, what's your favorite color? And I'll, I don't know, I guess today it's green. I, you know, I don't really have much of an opinion. But they have an opinion. Small children have an opinion about it. And not only do they have an opinion about it, we had one of our small children assign another of our small, small children what their favorite color would be. <laughs> I won't name any names. But, but one of my children had a favorite color assigned to them. But if, if you choose, and the, the reason that is the case is because if you choose a favorite color and you're amongst children, that means no one else gets to have that color as their favorite color because they own the rights to that color. That's their favorite color. It can't be yours also. But, exactly. I didn't even say her name as she spoke up for herself. <laughs> But you can't own a color. And there's enough of that color to go around. It could be your favorite and my favorite. We could all have blue as our favorite color, and that would be just fine. But not if you're four. And so uh, the passage today deals with people being possessive of not a color, not having a color as their favorite color, but being possessive, really, of uh, the right standing before God. 
How can you be possessive of that? It's a little bit like being possessive of that favorite color. And so we look at our passage today and you should have an outline on your bulletin there and there should be some blanks and you can fill those out and I usually try and uh, speak that portion of the outline slowly enough that you can do so. But but uh, we start there in uh, chapter 4 and verse 9 and and we get basically the question, for whom did God intend the blessing? Look what he says there at the beginning of verse 9. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Meaning, is this blessing for the religious insiders? Is it for them? Is it only for the circumcised? Of course, if, you, if you're up to speed with the conversation that's been going on here, you know that this, the discussion between circumcision and, and uncircumcision has a lot to do with religious and even ethnic background. Right? Where did you come from? Are you a Jew and therefore circumcision is uh, who you are? That represents you. Of course, that was a part of uh, religious uh, uh, law for the Jews. Or were you from the uncircumcision? Were you a Gentile? Were you kind of an outsider? And so we're going to see those two concepts be rubbed together today. And of course, you can realize, you can think about why that topic of circumcision and uncircumcision would be a big deal because the history of the, of the Jews with God was ancient, was ancient. Of course, Abraham was not a Jew. He was, he, he was, he was called out of, uh, out of a land, out of a pagan land. And even when you read in Joshua, it talks about how he was a worshiper of other gods. So he was called out of that. And he was the father of the faith. And, and so uh, that kind of begins Israel's history with God. And that's a long way back. That's all the way back to chapter 12 of Genesis. So there is a big history there. And along with that was circumcision from those earliest days. From the time of Abraham, circumcision was used to delineate who were the Jews and who were not. And so the history that they have is a long and rich one. So, you know, you can't just set that stuff aside easily. When you have this conversation about God, you're going to think in terms of circumcision. And in fact, we read in Romans chapter 9 and verse 4, Paul says this, to them, that is to, to Israel, belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. So there's a lot invested. There's a lot of history. And so you have the Jews as the religious insiders, and, and they were the ones who had walked with God as a nation all these years. And so Paul asks the question, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? In light of that long history is the blessing of justification by faith, and that's the blessing that he's talking about there, is that blessing of justification by faith theirs only in light of their ancient history with God. Well, what about those on the outside? What about the outsiders? He continues, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it for those who are on the outside? What about them? You see, God, God had chosen Israel to be His special people. And in doing so, that meant those who were not Israel were not His chosen people. Which, by the way, was the majority of the population of the earth. So the majority of the peoples of the earth were on the outside. They were the outsiders, not the 
not the insiders. And so after the work of Christ, are, are the Gentiles still on the outside? Is the blessing of justification by faith, of reconciliation to God, is that intended to be for the Gentiles too? Or is it, is it just for, for the Jews? Are those who are, have been on the outside for all these generations, are they still on the outside looking in? And that's the question that Paul is dealing with today. So, I like his response, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We continue reading in the second half of verse 9. He says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Now that's a quotation or a, a close reference to the Old Testament, right? He's basically saying, okay, Scripture talks about this. Let's pull it out and see. Let's look at it specifically. He doesn't say the word Scripture right there, but by the quotation we can tell that that's what he's referring to. And he's talking about when the insider was outside. He says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. That's a quotation from the Old Testament, from the book of Genesis, chapter 15. And he's referring to that. And he says, okay, we know that. We know that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. By the way, he had just been talking about this in the previous paragraph. So that's the case then. What about, we ask the question, when was that faith counted him as righteousness? Let's look at the passage, he says. In verse 10, he says, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? So he wants to ask details. He's saying, you know that Old Testament passage, which by the way is Genesis 15. So go ahead and turn there. Genesis 15, first book of the Bible. And he wants to do a little Bible study and ask some questions about Abraham and about Abraham's justification. So he says, we know that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. When was that? How? Was he circumcised at the time or was he uncircumcised? And so he goes back to Genesis 15 and we read in verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. In a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Pause for a moment. You see, Abraham had been given promises about his progeny, about he would have children, not just some. He would have offspring like the stars of heaven. Can't even count them. And, and so here, years have passed, and, and Abram's saying, I still don't have kids, and so I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So what that means is there's a, another relative or another person within his household who is senior most, who would be the one who would be the heir, who would receive the inheritance. And so maybe that's him. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And verse 6 is where Paul is referring. He says, 
And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. So that's the point. That's the reference that Paul is making. He didn't say, look at Genesis 15, 6. But he quotes it to us. He tells us. That's the passage that he's referring to there. Well, what question did he ask back in Romans 4? Was he circumcised at that point when he was declared to be righteous? Or was he uncircumcised? Well, to find out when he was circumcised, we turn a couple chapters to the right and we look at Genesis 17. Genesis 17. And I'm not going to read this passage, a very important passage as as the other one was. But I want to look just at uh, verses 9, 10, and 11. So this is years later, and you'll notice he's called Abraham here. God has changed his name from Abram, that has one meaning, to Abraham, which has another meaning. And uh, so he's referring to him by his given name at the moment. And he says, uh, in verse 9 we read, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So we have circumcision happening after the fact. Back in Genesis chapter 15 was when the declaration was made. Abram Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then it's not until two chapters later that we read that Abraham, uh, Abraham was circumcised. Which, by the way, when you're talking, uh, if you're sharing the gospel with your your LDS friends, uh, James chapter 2 will inevitably come up. And by understanding the timeline that you now understand of Genesis 15 versus Genesis 17, you can understand James chapter 2 a lot better that, in fact, the statement of Abram being declared righteous happens before circumcision ever enters the picture or before the sacrifice of Isaac even happens, which is much later. And so he was declared to be righteous while he was still an outsider, before he was circumcised. He was still an uncircumcised man, and here he is declared to be righteous. And that Paul wants to make a specific point on that. He's arguing from the chronology of it. He says, he says uh, uh, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? We can see very clearly that it was, it was before he was circumcised that he was declared to be righteous. He was declared to be just by faith. And so he, the insider, he's the consummate insider, Abraham. But actually he starts off as an outsider. And we see that he takes on, once he becomes an insider in that sense, he takes on the signs of an insider. So he says... He continues on and he says, It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Verse 11, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision is called a sign. It's a sign. It's an indicator. It points at something. What makes a sign useful What makes a sign significant is that it points beyond itself to a greater reality. I've done a lot of traveling in my life, and when you're driving somewhere, you go on a long road trip. And if if you've ever traveled in foreign lands, it's the weirdest thing because their signs look different, and somehow it's just 
makes you uncomfortable because you can't figure out what's the speed limit sign and what's the road you know, designation and all that stuff. But when you're driving somewhere, particularly if it's a long trip, and this I'm talking specifically before GPS because probably now everybody just, if they don't know where they're going, they just enter it in. And when you know, Siri says turn left or whatever, they turn left. But in the old days, in the old days, our signs didn't talk to us. We had to read them. <laughs> And you had to look for them and see them, right? And so as particularly on a long road trip, and, and we've done some long road trips as a family, and, and we love doing that, but when you start seeing signs of your destination, that's when things get good. You get excited because you're getting closer, right? So you rejoice when you see the sign, but you don't stop at the sign. Yay, we're there. We made it to the sign. Kids unpack. You know, this is where we're sleeping. No, you rejoice because you saw the sign and you follow its directions, to go where it tells you, you you do what it points you to do, or you pursue what it points you to pursue. You don't settle for the sign. You know that the sign has value only because of what it points to. Well, in our passage here, he says Abraham received the sign of circumcision. The circumcision was a sign pointing to something. It was an indicator. The the significance, the reality, the importance, the weight of the circumcision was much beyond the circumcision. It was pointing to an inward reality, an inward truth of his faith. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The circumcision pointed to the reality of Abraham's justification. You see, God was, he recognized Abraham's justification and then having recognized it, then he gave him the sign of circumcision. And so, what does that matter to us? We don't care all that much about, about uh, religious rites of ancient Israel. We're not, uh, we, we don't have uh, you know, circumcision as a sign of being a Christian, but we do have other signs. We do have other things as Christians that, that we should do, like baptism, like the Lord's Supper, different things that God has given us, and these also are signs. We take the Lord's Supper and we we take great pains to explain what it points to. Because because doing this thing in the same order and the next doing this thing in the right order every time, and that doesn't make it somehow effectual. It's pointing to the realities, the truths of what Christ has accomplished. And that's why we do it in remembrance of Him. So that we can call to mind, we can remember what he has done. It's a sign pointing beyond itself to him. And likewise with baptism. We've had numerous people come to us over the years. And I'm sure sure Woody has and and any pastor has. People have come and asked, hey, I want to be baptized because I, I want to be right with God. I want to make sure I'm going to heaven. And so I think being dunked is going to be that key. That's what I need to do is I need to be baptized. Which is a gospel opportunity. And so we share the gospel with that person because that person is thinking somehow there's magic in the water or magic in the rite, the ritual. And so we explain the gospel and try and lead that person to Christ, try and help them to understand. And so baptism is a sign. It points beyond itself. It points to the reality of faith in Christ. And so the application here, I think, is relatively clear, and that's, a simple one that if if you are a believer, if you have faith in Christ, you trust in Him alone for eternal life and you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. You need to take that sign upon yourself. Taking that sign upon yourself doesn't now make it work. 
so that you had to do the final thing. You had to sign on the dotted line so that you could be a believer and be right with God. It, it, it's not effectual in that sense. It's a sign that points beyond it. And, and Christian, you're, you're walking around with the reality, but not the sign. And by the way, the sign that, that we're told to do. We are to be baptized as Christians. And so that's a relatively simple application for that one is, if you know Christ, if you're a Christian, you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. You need to take that sign on yourself. You need to make that public declaration. You need to show outwardly what has been the case already inwardly. Well, then Paul uh, moves on to an interesting... Maybe we didn't see this coming. Uh, He talks about God's purpose in Abraham. See, God was at work. He was doing these things in a particular order on purpose. He was accomplishing something. He was communicating something to us. It didn't just happen that way, and we know that because Paul talks about God's purpose. First of all, he's talking about his purpose of bringing blessing to outsiders who come in. Blessing to outsiders who come in. We continue in the second half of verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. See, the circumcision didn't bring the righteousness. I think you and I see that relatively clearly. But the righteousness was only available by faith in Christ. That was how it came. And so God did things in this order with Abraham. He declared Abraham to be righteous before him because of faith back in chapter 15 of Genesis. And then two chapters later, which was over a dozen years later, he gives him circumcision as a mark of something that had been true for all this time. He did that on purpose. He did it so that he could show, he could demonstrate that circumcision isn't the key point. It's faith that is the key point. God has always, from the beginning, God has always been in the business of redeeming outsiders, bringing people in from the outside. And I could, I could list multiple examples uh, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I'll take one from the Old Testament, Rahab. Rahab, she was a Gentile, and she was a prostitute. And God brought her in by faith. Well, in the New Testament... I'm so encouraged by the thief on the cross hanging there right next to Jesus. What an outsider. He was rightly being punished for his crimes. And Jesus says, you'll be with me today in paradise. So God brings in, he's been in the business of bringing in outsiders from the beginning. Now there's an awkward thing about outsiders. They don't don't know how things are done. Here, Even when you go to a new church, you move to a new place, you go into a new church and you think, hey, I've been in church a long time. And there are still things that indicate to you that you're an outsider. We had uh, lots of examples in our own lives when we lived in Russia. The manners and the customs of life in Russia are very different from here. Very different. And I could tell you story after story after story of my failure and having insulted people completely by accident. Because I was operating as an American, because I was saying and do th- doing things the way we say and do them, and uh, people would end up being offended because they don't do it that way in Russia, like uh, like not wearing shoes in the house, right? That's not a big deal. I, you know, I, our family's half Canadian, so we're we're kind of used to that rule. But we've lived here a long time, and and uh, you never wear shoes in the house 
in Russia. And what about uh, something that happens sometimes in our culture, but happens a lot over there, and that's friends showing up unannounced. Just coming unannounced. We had friends, like right before we left, who had, uh, they were a married couple, and they had one son, and they showed up, like at our kid's bedtime. And so we're, I mean, you know, it's bedtime, so our kids are in bed. They show up, and they, you know, bring in stuff for like a party. They're wanting to have a party, and it's, it's only 8.30 at night or whatever. It's not that late, but, you know, and their poor son was, you know, what do we do? Because he's bored out of his mind because my kids are all asleep, <laughs> right? But they show up and we have a party and, and uh, that's a, it's a simple thing. We do it differently here, right? Uh, you don't shake hands across the threshold of a house. It's some bad luck or something, I don't know, but you don't, you don't open the door and, hey, how you doing, Chuck? You don't shake the hand, right? Because that's across the threshold. It's a simple one. You don't do that. But uh, one that's a little bit more difficult is... When do you open birthday gifts at a party? Like, is that... I see Larry saying, yeah, that's different. So kids, if kids are having a birthday party, people bring gifts. When do you open them? I, I'm actually kind of confused about it still because I knew one way, the American way that I grew up with, and we went to Russia, and I believe in Russia, what they do is they, the, the, they, they collect the gifts and they say thank you very much, and they don't open them, but then the kids run off and kind of in the back room, they open them quietly by themselves, right? It's not a big thing in front of everybody, right? So I'm confused. Like, so when someone gives me a gift now, I'm thinking, thank you. Do I open it now? Is that embarrassing? I don't know. There are a lot more things than that. By the way, I used to be a really good... Uh, my penmanship was very good. I was a good speller. And now I lost all that. So it's just cultural confusion. Blame it on cultural confusion. If, if we have outsiders that come in, they don't know how things are done here. Right? The person could have been a Christian for 30 years and there are some things they may not, may not know uh, how we do. But there are, there are a lot of things that if an unbeliever comes in, someone who's never been in church, what do you do? Right? It's a weird thing, by the way, for everyone to sit facing the same direction, quietly, without falling asleep, and listen to a guy talk for 45 minutes. Right? That's not normal. We don't normally do that in the rest of life. I remember when I was, uh, the first time I ever came to church here, I was invited uh, to sit with my friend who had invited me right exactly in the middle of this section over here. And she said, okay, I'll warn you, we sometimes clap when we sing. Don't be, don't be weirded out, right? That's what she told me. I didn't know. I'd never been to church, really. I didn't have any idea. I thought singing together was weird, right? These are some things we all do and love doing together, but the unbeliever who walks in may have no clue. And so standing up and singing next to somebody else is weird. Clapping is weird, right? I'm still not very good at that. There are insider things that we do. And, and so one application for this for us is that we need to be aware that as we desire to do evangelism, as we desire, we go out and seek to share the gospel with other people, they will not be like us. They won't come into the church for the first time having been Parksiders for 20 years, or 10 years, or at all. So we need to be aware of that. They, they may not dress the way we dress. Fine. We can deal with that. They may not talk the way we talk. They won't know the Christian language that we all know. Words that we say when we talk to people, they won't know that language. That will be strange to them. And that's okay. They, they won't know how to make small talk the way we do. They won't know when to come in and when to go out and when the plate goes by, what's the deal with that? 
So we need to be aware of that. As we seek to share the gospel with other people, we need to ourselves kind of let go of some of our expectations in that regard. That uh, it's okay if that person doesn't yet know how to clap well (laughs) or what to do with that plate or why we sing or any of those things. How to dress like us. We kind of need to loosen up on that perhaps. And I think as the Lord brings more and more people in, that's going to become a topic for us. It's okay for people to come in and not already be on the inside. And so God's purpose in saving Abraham in the order he did was to uh, give to make him the, the father of those who are outsiders but who come in by faith. Those who are not circumcised, those who are not in the know but come to faith in Christ. We know that is God's intention because he saved Abraham before he was even circumcised. But that's not it. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So he's, God saved Abraham in the order in which he did also to bring blessing to true insiders. True insiders. He, he says those who are, he refers to those merely circumcised, meaning those who've gone through the rituals, those who've grown up in church, as it were, those who have the, the, the religious background, the proper background, they've, they've done the things. They look like they fit in. They look like part of the crowd. That's someone who is merely circumcised. But he came to be the father, not only of those who are circumcised, but those not merely circumcised, but who are, have faith in Christ, who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had. You see, they grew up in a certain culture. Everybody went to synagogue. Everybody went to the temple. Everybody did the Jewish thing. They dressed the same, behaved the same. The cultural expectations were there. Kind of like, you know, some of us may imagine the the Bible Belt. You know, you go to church because everybody goes to church. And you don't swear because people don't swear. I've been to the Bible Belt. I grew up there and I know people do swear. but, But you can grow up in that context. You can look like you fit in and be merely circumcised. You've just got the outward forms. You've just got the, the, the lifestyle, but you don't have the faith. Paul would say you are merely circumcised. And I think the application for us, the application for us, don't be someone that Paul would call merely circumcised. The question in our passage here is about faith. Do you know Christ? Do you put your trust in Him? Or are you tempted to put your trust in your lifestyle? Are you tempted to put your trust in your Christian heritage? Maybe grandpa was a pastor and dad was a pastor. Maybe, maybe you've been in church your whole life. But it's possible to have all those things in place and still be at heart an outsider. And so what Paul is challenging us with here is that we would have faith that we would walk in the footsteps of the faith that Father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. And so that's 
what I want to conclude with today is, is that challenge. Are you truly an insider? Are you an insider at heart? Are you a believer at heart is what I mean. Do you know him or do you just look like him? Do you have the outward pieces in place? Maybe you've got a good moral life. Maybe you're an upstanding person. People respect you. Maybe you've been here a long time. Maybe you've been in church a long time elsewhere. But the question will come down to your faith in Christ. Do you know him? Or are you relying upon your circumcision? I said I was almost done, but one final point of application. Uh, nursery working was mentioned earlier. If, if we begin to bring more people in, as we begin to share the gospel more with people, and we see people come to church and come visit, often they will bring their kids with them. And I don't know if you know it already, but, but the, uh, the nursery is already bursting at the seams. They, they can have 15, 17 kids back there. That takes a lot of workers. And if I'm an outsider and I show up and I bring my family, <laughs> you know, I've got, I've, you know, let's, say I have, let's say I only have two for the nursery and, and I see the kids swinging from the rafters because those poor adults are, are outnumbered, I might not be back, right? So we need to, uh, for the sake of the outsiders, one of the things that we might need to do is volunteer, in places like the nursery and in other places so that we can be serving so that when people show up, the, uh, the workers, the servers are not outnumbered, but they can deal with that uh, new family that comes in. This is the way we get to serve other people. This is the way we get to reach out to other people. And so I would encourage you that way to uh, pray about, consider serving in the nursery. Consider laying down your life that way for a couple hours every couple of months lay down your life for the sake of those who need to be sitting where you are hearing what you are hearing so I'm encouraged by this passage I'm encouraged because I myself was an outsider I was born an outsider I was not born into a Jewish family nor was I born into a Christian family but I was brought in I was brought in by faith in Christ and I've, I was baptized, and I, I took communion, and I, I learned some stuff, and I became an insider. But God brought me in when I was an outsider by the gospel. And that's my challenge to you. That's my encouragement to you. You may feel like an outsider. You may feel like an outsider, like you don't fit. Come to faith in Christ. Trust in Him alone for eternal life. And you will be that insider. You will be a true insider. You may not look like it yet, and that's okay. But you'll be one with Christ, part of the body of Christ. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, and we thank you, as the majority of us are, are Gentiles. We're from a non-Jewish background, and we didn't grow up um, as a member of the nation of Israel or anything like that for most of us. But you sent the gospel to us and you called us to be your own. Father, I thank you for the fact that you saved Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision came along. It was a marker. It was an indicator. It pointed to the reality of his faith. But he was saved while he was still uncircumcised. 
Father, I pray that you would work salvation even in those today who feel like outsiders, feel like they don't fit in, they don't understand a lot. I pray that you would work salvation in the hearts of people who, who are really insiders, or at least they look like it. I pray that you would save some of them, those who do fit in, but they don't in their heart. Father, we rejoice that you sent Jesus, the first missionary, as it were, to come and work salvation for us, to come and die for the sins of sinners. Father, I rejoice and I praise you and I thank you and I bless your name. I pray in Jesus' name. May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And let us be thankful. Amen and amen. God bless you all. If you want to pray with someone, there will be a family up here to pray with you. Otherwise, you are dismissed. <laughs>